Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Chris Danielson. My best friend and bride, Emily, is out today. It's time for our midweek long-form teaching, which is usually one of my sermons, but sometimes we'll have a guest speaker. Today, it is mine from Sunday. And some of the times when I preach, I use a little film clip to set up the sermon. Now, we have a license for live performance of that film clip, but any reproduction, unauthorized broadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball is strictly prohibited. So, that being said, I can't add the audio to the podcast or to our YouTube video, which you can find at lifehouse-church.com. So this sermon is called, What's the Deal? And it starts with a little clip from the movie Apollo 13, when Ed Harris's character, who is Mission Control's commander, comes in and talks about what are they going to do now? Can they use the LEM to actually try to get these guys home using the moon's gravitational pull? The big line in the film clip is when Ed Harris says, I don't care what it was designed to do. I only care what it can do. And that was kind of the springboard into this message. We're back in First Peter from Lifehouse Church. Thank you for hanging out with us right here on the Bible Idiots Podcast. So today, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I don't care what it's designed to do or what it's supposed to do. I only care what it can do. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your faith and mine, and I'm talking about our churches across America. Nobody really cares what they're designed to do. And today, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Last week, we did 1 through 5, and the message is called, What's the Deal? But today is the final dagger in the doing exactly the opposite of what a good strategic call, uh, plan calls for in trying to build and grow your church, according to every church planning manual that has come out in the last 15 years. See, you are supposed to be as fluffy as possible. Stay in 1 Corinthians 13. Tell everyone how much God loves them and don't talk about the reality of suffering. Never talk about health. I mean, never. You don't want to be a fire and brimstone, guys. And make sure you make the people as comfortable as possible. Send them out pumped up for another week. Even if it doesn't line up with God's word, that's okay. You'll build your numbers. You'll build your budget. Because if you stick to the love and the saved portion and avoid the suffering talk, that's good for church growth. Now, if you go back over the last four weeks that I've been here preaching, you realize I know none of that. The pursuit of righteousness is too strict, they say. Instead, emphasize the freedom of Christ, which is true, right? Never say that God does, in fact, in the scriptures, call us to change. He does. Instead, just focus on the just as you are, come as you are message, which is also true. See, it is so misleading and so dishonest to only share the happy, fun, and easy side of the truth. There's a whole lot more to what the Bible actually says, to what God really says to us, that to intentionally avoid those hard conversations because it takes maturity and the surrendered lives of those listening to it to really grasp it and to grow with it, you need to avoid it. Well, that is what can only be called manipulation, sad, falsehood, and in some cases, straight up lying. You follow? So I'm just going to tell you the truth. 
That's all I got. That's all I brought with me to Kansas. And even though it often makes me look bad or sound harsh or whatever other label you want to put on me, know this. At the end of the day, all of you, if you're honest with yourself, will be able to say, I told you the truth. And that's all that matters. See, when it comes to being politically incorrect or going against the cultural norms, or even when it's obvious the news and information at hand is what some would call hard cheese, somebody has to be willing to tell the people the truth. And you know I'm called to just tell you like it is. I don't know any other way to roll as a human. I take no personal pride in that. I just don't know any other way. See, I don't care what the proper design is. What does it really do? Follow? Look, I can be an actor. Some of you can be actors. But I gave up that sad pretending game decades ago. And there's no question I'm a better man for it. Earlier this week, Brian Leaf came over to my house and helped me put gutter guards on because apparently I'm according to Emily, too old to be back on a ladder. And we started talking about acting. Brian would be a great actor. I mean, he's got the look, he's got the chops, he's got everything. So we started talking about it. I'm like, but you understand, it's not just being you. You have to be somebody else. And when you've got 10 people in the room and the lights are shining on you and there's a microphone right here and a camera's right here in your face and you've been having a good day, but the scene calls for you to be just sad and brokenhearted, that takes skill. And I'm here to tell you, I got that skill. I used to, anyway. I did, what, hundreds of TV commercials. I mean, I've done industrial videos. I can be that guy. But let me tell you something. That's a sad world when you're around people who are pretending through the Christian life. The authentic, joyful, I'm alive in the Lord, and I'm in the middle of suffering, but I'm joyful Christian life. See, remember this now. When you and I stop pretending, we expose the pretending and posturing of everybody else, thus making us the enemy and an immediate target many times. Such is the hard truth of life, especially for those who want to speak it. I'm going to hit you with that one more time. When you and I stop pretending, we expose the pretending and posturing of everybody else. And what does that do? That makes you the enemy makes you the target. So, so it is to, again today, I'm going to bring you the real deal from scripture in regards to suffering. This is not easy to do sometimes, but we're going to read all the way through verses one through nine, and we're going to focus on six through nine today. And if you missed the first part, it's on YouTube. One through five was last week. Let's stand for the reading of God's word today. First Peter chapter one, verses six through nine. Starting in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that a proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Be seated, please. See, 2,500 years ago, Solomon surveyed the course of human existence, and concluded that life is all vanity or emptiness. I know a lot of you are taking notes, and you do this in your small group, so write this down. We're not going to put it on the screen. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. That's what I'm referring to. You can look it up later. And by the way, for those of you watching on YouTube, if you want to see the notes, I will email them to you every week. You just have to drop me an email, Chris at lifehouse-church.com. I'll email you the notes. But the notes that I talk about are for the people here. And if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast at bibleidiots.com, I'll help you out. But the notes are for the people that have come to the church to uh, have fresh spiritual bread baked for them today. So I'll make references, a few more coming. And if we have a lot of note takers, and that's great. But anyway, Solomon surveys the course of human history. And he's like, it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. He saw righteous suffer and felt it was a form of injustice is kind of my take on it. Job must have felt the same way during his time of trial. Read the book of Job if you want to see some of the most injustice suffering happen to a human being. Perhaps you also have gone through an extended trial and had questions or doubts about it. Now, let me stop and say everything isn't doom and gloom. In fact, we believers have it pretty good. So let's set this on the table before we get really deep into this, is that Peter gives us several reasons for always being rejoicing. And we already read it in our text. In verse 3, we have a living hope. In verse 4, we have a lasting inheritance. In verse 5, we have a long-term salvation. In verse 6, we have a long-for final reward. And that's where we're going today, is 6 through 9. So with all of this in mind, you got to know it's not all bad. In fact, there is much cause for rejoicing in the Lord today. And we ought to get to the business of doing all of that all the time. However, there will be trials that will come our way. It's going to happen. We may not understand them, nor appreciate them when they come. I know I don't. But we need to be prepared for them just the same. That is Peter's purpose in these verses. That is the purpose of 
a pastor who wants to feed his sheep. That's the purpose of a life group is to prepare you. That's the purpose of a life house congregation coming together under a covenant partnership. And that's what we do. We prepare. Why? Because it's coming. And he wants to encourage his reader, Peter does, but he also wants to prepare them for what is surely to come. And today we see Peter's words teach us about trials and why Christians suffer. And he gives us three words that we need to keep in mind about our trying times. Let's start with verse 6, but let's start with point number 1. The deal in reality. The deal in reality. I want to start by continuing to remind you, and I'm I'm pounding this home because I don't want you to lose this, rejoicing is our common state. Rejoicing must be our common state. If you spend enough time around some believers, you may feel uh, that, that Christian life is one big series of trials and that there's no room for praise. In truth, we are to be a rejoicing people. We are to be rejoicing in spite of our troubles. Why? I laid it out for you the last couple of weeks, but let's look at it again. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. It says, however, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are now written in heaven. They're written in the Lamb's book of life, and that's the scorecard, my friends. That's what it's all about. Once our names are written in heaven, we can't help but rejoice regardless of what happens around us. Now look, redemption and having your name written in heaven does not guarantee us immunity from trials. The Christians who think that just because he or she is saved, that they're going to be shielded from trouble, is in for a really rude awakening. Being saved is no hedge for trouble. Christians get sick. Christians' marriages fall apart. Christians' parents have trouble with their children. Christians have financial troubles. Christians walk through some pretty deep, dark valleys. Jesus said it as plain as he could have said it. And the best translation for this, to give you the best oomph, is the King James. It's in John 16, 33. And the King James is up on the screen for you. It says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye, or you, might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Straight up. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Remember that just because this trial came and took you by surprise and jerked the rug underneath your feet, it never took God by surprise. He knew about it before it happened and already made a way to bring you out of that trial. He never changes and is still able to help you through whatever it is. You want a life verse to tack into your world? How about Hebrews 13.8? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Add that next to Romans 8.28 in your world, and you can do a lot of things. So here's the deal in reality. Rough times are in store for every one of us. But it's always better when you go through rough times with others. Now, this may shock you, and if it does, I feel bad for you because it shouldn't, but I was sent to the principal's office a lot. <laughs> a lot. And you know what made it better? Was when some of my buddies had to go too. I don't know why, but I'll never forget sitting out there waiting for it. 
and there'd be three or four of us, it was like we were in a group, we were all going to go to detention. That made it better. When those guys got, and I got holding the bag, that, that, that was not good. It was worse. That's just one minor example. You know it's true. When you have a group, especially prayer partners, when you got a group, the trials are less. They are. No one is immune from trials and troubles. The struggles of Job, his life was going well. He was blessed. He had a large family. He was right with God, but his life fell apart. Do not fall into this trap of the health and wealth preacher who's trying to tell you that if you are saved, you're never going to have trouble again. He's, he or she is lying to you. God wants you to know that there will be times when you're going to have battles. And you want to know something when you buy into that garbage? that best life now, and you have troubles, and life today kind of bites, you know, you know what happens to you? You start to doubt the God of the universe who wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's all it leads to. Which is why we need people to tell the truth. Even if it's not the most popular thing in the world to do. We're going to look at verse 6 together. And I'm going to show you three different translations of this verse. And I read it to you in the CSB. Let's start with that. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Let's go to the hardcore King James Version. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. A little bit stronger, isn't it? How about... The New Living Translation. This is really the easy, soft language. I like the New Living Translation until you need to go deeper. Then you need something bigger. I'm just telling you. I'm going to show you today in three different verses. So be glad. Be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Did you feel that? Not not quite as hard, is it? See, but the verses have three ways to say three things. Short time for a season a little while, suffer grief in heaviness, may have to endure, various trials, manifold temptations, many trials, right? Now, the King James translates these times as manifold temptations. It's a little, little heavier. Catches your attention, doesn't it? Well, this means that they hit us from every side, often with devastating consequences. Manifold temptations means more. When you take the original Greek and you look at what Tyndale did with the New King James or the King James Version, it's hard for us to read and understand. But when you take different translations and you see the depths, which is why the message is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. And sometimes that paraphrase can really work out great for us to get a better understanding of the text. But other times it leaves it weak. See what I'm saying? But always remember... When manifold temptations come, as the King James puts it, and hits us from every side and often with devastating consequences, it's a short time. It's for a season. It's a little while. Point number two. The deal of refinement. The deal of refinement. Another word you could look there is realignment. I couldn't decide, so I used them both. Because it's the same concept. It's about the areas of our trial. It's about the trial of our faith when troubles do come. So let's look at verse 7, same way, three different ways. 
CSB first says, so the proven character of your face, more valuable than gold, which though is refined by, perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's go to King James, same verse. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go to the New Testament or the New Living Translation, I want you to I want you to think of something. Who's getting the praise and honor and glory? It's your faith that's giving the praise and glory to the Lord. But the New Living Translation gives you a different perspective. And this is I'm trying to show you where you get just a little bit off in your thinking. It can be damaging. Here we go. Verse 7, New Living Translation. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it'll bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See how that verse told it so great all the way up until it decided to say, you're going to get the praise and honor and glory. No, Jesus gets the praise and honor and glory through what you have done, through the strength that he has given you, because you don't even have the strength to have that kind of faith on your own. But it's still the deal. You get tried by fire. You're purified like gold. And you stand before him, and he gets honor and glory because of what you've done through his strength. It's amazing. When troubles do come, they seem to concentrate their power against our faith in the Lord. Is that not what happens? Satan wants to do all that he can to make Christians doubt the power of God to meet their need. And if anyone knew this, it was Peter. Jesus had already told him he was going to die for Christ. Note takers, write down John 21, 18 and 19. John 21, 18 and 19. Jesus had already told Peter to expect rejection from the world. And Peter had already suffered for his faith. Jot down Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12. Paul knew his share of suffering. Stephen suffered for Jesus. James was killed for his faith. And, you know, again, back to Acts 12. Check it out. Over 68 million believers have died during the last 2,000 years for the name of Jesus. Christians who find themselves suffering, especially for the faith, are in really good company. And there's an alignment that then takes place. Peter speaks of a refining process of the, what the gold goes through, subject to the flames. You know what happens when you go through trials? And it's not just designed to, uh, and you don't allow it to be designed to take your faith from you because you believe Jesus came to make you happy and rich and, and healthy. You know what happens? Like gold, when it's refined by fire, impurities all rise to the top and it's scraped away and you're left with pure gold. Think about it. The more you go through the fire, the more it brings you into a more pure relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I have preached since I got here that you, if you are saved, cannot be any closer to Jesus than you already are. He holds you in his grip. So we always say, let's draw closer to Jesus for such a time as this. And I'm like, that's saying it wrong. Let's grow stronger for such a time as this. And look at this. Let's get rid of the impurities in our life as we go through the fire. And let's get more pure with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we receive an abundance. We get, uh, you know, we get this incredible thing that's coming when we get home. 
Peter reminds us that we're not home yet. Romans 8.28, we don't have it, but write it down and look it up later. It basically said God works all things for good for those who love him. So if you're going through something, God's using it for his good, even though it doesn't look like it. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. See, that's the key. That's the key to it all. See, when we walk with him, and our sufferings are endured in him, it'll be all worth it at that time. You know, many of you heard this story. It's the, how the eagle learns to fly. The mother eagle will just decide that it's time, look at the wings of the little baby eagle and say, you're ready, and kick it out of the nest. So now this eagle's plummeting to the earth to its death. And the mother eagle swoops down and picks him before he gets to the ground and brings him up to the nest and lets him catch his breath and kicks him out again. And they do this over and over till that eagle, little young eagle starts to fly. And I don't know about, you know, if you know that much about aviation or avionics and those types of things, but eagles fly pretty, pretty awesome. And so to learn it that way, and God does a lot of that same thing to us. He will not let you crash and burn. He allows what he does to strengthen your faith and to grow you up in him. Let's face it. If the Lord never challenged us, we would never grow. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Yeah, you know, it's awesome when God rescues you at the, when you're at the end of your rope, but it sure bites with the rope burns you get sliding down. But when you're standing there with your rope burns, and there's other people there to help put some ointment on your hands, it makes a big difference. Let's go to point number three today, our last point today. The deal about reliability. Again, I thought about responsibility. The deal about reliability and responsibility. Not that God can count on us, but that we can count on Him. He's reliable and He's responsible. Verses eight and nine, we're going to do the same thing, all three translations. I hope this is a, you know, beneficial and not boring for you. I, I'm the Bible idiot. I sit at my desk and put this together and go, this is going to be great. <laughs> and then I, then I get up here and it's like, I wonder if these people are bored. <laughs> you know? CSB first. That's, that's, my, that's my jam right there. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's go to the King James Version. It says, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. New Living Translation. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So the verse before in the New Living Translation kind of let us down. This one, I think it brings it home. I think it does a great job. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of our souls. 
We weather the storms of life. We see God come through time and again. We can actually learn to develop a spirit of praise as we journey towards heaven. We will, f- we will, find, in our unsa- we will find in our unseen Savior. Sounded better when I wrote it. When we see him finally, we will find in him, even though he's unseen now, we will know that he will see us through every trial. It's called confidence. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, do not move the boundary markers of your forefathers. Another translation of that, don't forget what God's done for you before and use it for today. I mean, the list is so long of the times we know God had to show up for us. And he did over and over and over again. Like the shepherd in Psalm 23, he never abides on his own. As we face trials, he goes through them with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13.5. His grace is always sufficient for every need, 2 Corinthians 12.9. This ought to be a cause for unspeakable joy in verse 8 of your text today. I don't know why God keeps calling me to speak these sermons dealing with the coming storms. Maybe it's I see the clouds. Either someone is in a difficult place now or some of us are about to go into one. And there's enough testimonies in this room to encourage others who might need it. Just one that came this morning, Christian Orr in four days is going to celebrate his 15th anniversary since his brain injury almost killed him and killed the man standing next to him. God's got a plan for Christian. He's got a plan for you. Some of your stories, and we just get to, we got a, just a glimpse of it on Wednesday night. Some of the stories are such an encouragement to others and to me. And I think to myself, well, so and th- so went through this like five years ago and look at him now. I can go through this today. That's what people say. You got buddies with you going to the principal's office. It's going to be all right. For whatever reason, I'm glad that the Bible gives us hope regarding overcoming life's difficult times. And if you need something from Jesus today, this altar remains open for you at the end of every service. You can grab me. We can go talk in my office. I can come and pray with you. Whatever you need, it's always here for you. This is Lifehouse. This is what we do. Jesus is willing to help see that your need is met. And he may not meet them like you think he's going to. He may not do it the way you think it's supposed to be done. It may not look like what the world looks like. But if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if you have gone to Jesus and transferred that trust, you've surrendered your life, you said, Lord, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. You lived the perfect life. You died the sacrificial death. You overcame hell and death with the victory at the resurrection. And you offered to me freely. And you loved me while I was still in my sins. And you want to do, if you want to make that decision, you want to go forward with that. God's calling you on that. You can transfer trust and have your name permanently written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what the scriptures say. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to your children now. The ones you're drawing, let them come. 
without any pomp and circumstances, without any pastor manipulation, playing the soft music and trying to get people to come down front so they can add another couple to their scorecard. Instead, let it be more authentic and genuine. Let it be that the people here right now that you are calling to bring to yourself that they would have the courage to stay after and meet you personally and that they would make the change in their life. They would become a child of God. And for those children who already are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, just make them stronger today. Make our fellowship tighter. Draw those here that need to come here. And let us together give you honor, praise, and glory. We love you, Jesus. Be with us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.